podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to Two-Footed Podcast. On Thursday, the 21st of January, we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A VPN is a virtual privacy network which allows you to change your location online and keep your data safe. Obviously, you always want to keep your data safe and private, so that's really important. But changing your location online can also be important if you want to access American Netflix and check out a show on there. Or if you're from the UK and maybe you do business or have a holiday home around Europe or you just like to take trips, Brexit means you can no longer use your your Sky Sports subscription outside of the UK. Bad news. But a Liberty Shield VPN means that wherever you are, you can set your location back to the UK, log into your Sky Go and watch away as if you were sitting at home. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft. Home of Hopcroft is a giftware and homeware shop, so do check out their stuff online. Great products, good prices, shipping worldwide. Homeofhopcroft.co.uk Right, folks. uh, Two games last night. Both Manchester clubs involved. First things first. Manchester City 2, Aston Villa 0. City dominated this game. Absolutely wiped the floor with Villa for the most part. Uh, But there was controversy surrounding the first goal. Now, before I get to that, let's just put something to bed. Aston Villa did not defend well last night. This was not a masterclass spoiled by an official. Not in any way. Last-ditch last defending is never good defending. It's last-ditch for a reason. You've been cut open and exposed. You've left yourself open and been exposed. Villa were all over the place defensively last night. Tyron Mings had an absolute stinker. Target did not play well at all. I thought Esri Konza had one of his worst games of the season. Matty Cash did pretty well. I thought he was the best of the four. City should have been 3-0 up before any controversy was allowed to enter the game. Emmy Martinez made two great saves. One from um, one from Gundogan. One from Bernardo Silva. Bernardo Silva probably should have scored, but Martinez sticks the foot out, makes a great save, and then there's a bit of a scrum in the box and it gets cleared. The Gundigan one, it might not have been Gundigan that had the chance. It falls to Gundigan after on the rebound and it bounces through his legs. He should have scored. Jao Canseo hits the crossbar. He probably should have scored. City go one up in the 79th minute when. Rodri presses the goalkeeper, Martinez clears it, it gets headed back, and Tyron Mings, with zero awareness of what he's doing or what's going on, has two options. He can either head it clear, or he can just not touch it and let the ball run behind him, because Rodri is behind him, 
in a clearly offside position. If he does either of those two things, danger averted. Instead, he tries to control it on his chest. Rodri is then allowed back into play. Rodri takes the ball off him, feeds Bernardo Silva, who buries it from 20 yards. Now, there's been some controversy because people have said Mings didn't have control of the ball. How can it be reset to the next phase of play? The ruling is if you make a deliberate, if a defender makes a deliberate attempt to play the ball in the next phase of pe- of play, the attacker comes is now deemed onside. Mings made a deliberate attempt to play the ball. The problem for Mings is. If he chested it down onto his left foot, got control of the ball, and then cleared it, that likely would have been seen as the phase of play, and Rodri couldn't have interfered with him in that instance. The problem for Mings is he chested it down to his right-hand side, too far away from himself. His second touch became a tackle, and it was deemed that that initial chest, that's the first phase of play. Now, I always think the best person to go to with regards to any VAR-related queries, any VAR-related controversy, is Dale Johnson of ESPN. So he put through uh, put, put together a thread last night on Twitter, so I'll just read it out to you. So Tyron Mings chesting the ball was judged by the officials and the VAR a deliberate act to play the ball, and that reset the offside phase, bringing Rodri onside. So him chesting the ball down and losing control of it, he's no longer in control. So the next phase of play, which is the tackle, begins with where both players are at the time and Rodri had wandered back onside. Johnson himself says, I can't agree. Surely he has to be offside in this uh, circumstance. For me, this is the key point. If Mi- Mings had made a deliberate play, messed up in the ball, ran to Rodri, offside is reset. See, I think that is what happened. Now, Dale says, but Ming's deliberate play was to control the ball and then he had it stolen. I don't think he had it stolen. I don't think he was in control of it. He chests the ball down. It bounces to his right-hand side. His next touch is a tackle. It's not like he had another touch and then there was the tackle, like he was in control of the ball. He wasn't. Obviously, this is open to interpretation. A player is offside receiving the ball from an opponent who deliberately plays the ball is not considered to have gained an advantage. So obviously Rodri was offside, but Mings plays the ball, Rodri comes back onside. I'm confident that in 99 of 100 times this happens in normal play, offside is given, unless we're saying a player coming back from offside can challenge a defender if he controls the ball. Again, I don't think Mings controls the ball. That's the issue. Mings doesn't control the ball, he miscontrols it, and it bounces away. So, I don't think, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that obviously for Villa, it's, it's very upsetting. Um, again, he's, he's added to this this morning. He said a small thread uh, on the goal. Technically, it was onside by the laws of the game, but it's offside in the spirit of the game. And I'm sorry, the laws of the game are what, what the officials have to go by. They ha- that's what they have to go by. Of course, it's going to be flagged offside, but when the VAR reviews it, they have to apply the rules of the game. It is open to 
control of the ball is. So some people might look at the Mings thing and say, no, no, he's in control of the ball. I don't think he was. The panics, lunges into a tackle, loses the tackle, and costs his team a goal. Not the first time Mings has cost his team a goal this season. Certainly won't be the last time he caused them a goal either. He is the weak link in that defence. Um, City go second in the table and will be very, very happy with life. They have a game in hand on United. That game in hand is against Villa. No, that was the game in hand against Villa. Uh, the game in hand is against Everton, excuse me. This was the game, tonight's, uh, last night's game was the game that was cancelled at the start of the season because City had been involved in the Champions League post-lockdown. The Everton game is the game that was cancelled because of COVID. So City have five, I think it could be six wins on the bounce now. They'll play Cheltenham in the FA Cup at the weekend. And then it's West Brom, Sheffield United and Burnley in the next three league games, all of which they will be expected to win comfortably. After that, it does get a little bit more difficult. They've got Liverpool, they've got Tottenham, they've got Arsenal. Now, the Liverpool and Tottenham games, they've obviously had difficult games against both of those this season already. Liverpool drew one all at the Etihad. Spurs beat City um, at the new Tottenham Stadium. Then they've Arsenal, then Gladbach in the Champions League, and then West Ham, who obviously are having a very good season so far. And then Manchester United at the start of March. So the next three games to them, you'd expect nine points. After that, though, it does get more difficult. Now, they do look the best team in the league. There's no question. And right now, you would have to make them the, the presumptive favourites to win the title. But we wouldn't have said that seven, eight weeks ago. Things change very quickly this season. And a team like City, who had looked very poor in the first eight, nine, even ten games of the season, all of a sudden look like they're going to run away with the league. That's how quickly things can change. For Villa, this is obviously, you know, it's not a disappointing result because you're away to Manchester City. But I think they would have hoped to grab a point here. Uh, they stay in 11th, but they do have three games in hand still over the teams ahead of them, which are Arsenal by one point, and then Southampton and Chelsea, who are uh, three points clear of them. So you would expect that Villa will will get themselves back in the top half. Uh, games in hand, Everton has won, Newcastle has won, and I can't remember who the third one is. But... You'd expect that Villa will find some points there. This Villa team is looking very, very strong. It's a couple of pieces short. I like Martinez. He he has been a revelation this season. Obviously, he did well at Arsenal last season after lockdown. But this season, he's proven himself and he's been very, very good. Arguably the best keeper in the league this season so far. Matty Cash, that's your right back for years to come. Ezra Konza, you build your defence around him. He's fantastic. The left-side centre-back position is somewhere they need to address. I'd like an upgrade at left-back if I was them, but target is decent. But, I mean, if they could get Jamal Lewis or somebody like that, somebody of that level, I think that would be an upgrade for them. In midfield, they obviously don't own Barkley, but they'll probably try and keep him. Now, they are currently trying to sign Morgan Sanson from Marseille. Their first offer has been dismissed and called a disgrace by Marseille. But they may go back for him. 
you'd wonder if that's a move to future-proof against not keeping Barkley. I'd hope not. I'd like them to keep Barkley. Douglas Louise at holding midfield, he's he's tremendous. He's one of the five best in the league in his, in his role. City have a buyback for the summer, but are, are rumoured not to be planning to take that up. Um, and then John McGinn, uh, who's just a, a very reliable player for them. And then the front three tends to be one of Traore, El Ghazi, Trezeguet on the right, Watkins through the middle, and Grealish off the left. Now, I think if they move Watkins to the right, but play him narrow and open the channel for Maddie Cash to bomb forward, Grealish on the left, they were to buy a number nine, like a reliable goal-scoring number nine. And Tammy Abraham is the name that's out there. He's been at Villa before. He really enjoyed his time there by all accounts. He helped them get promoted. If they could add Tammy Abraham into this team and go Watkins, Abraham, Grealish up front, that's a big, big problem for a lot of teams. And then you get Grealish coming from the left with his creativity. On top of those two goal scorers and the pace of those front two, it's going to open up much more creative options for Grealish. You get the opportunity to swing it to something like a box midfield where Grealish and Barkley play narrow behind the front two. Um, McGinn and, and Louise will, will set that platform in midfield. And if they do bring Sanson in, maybe they let Marvellous Nakamba go, and then they've got three to rotate in those kind of sitting positions in midfield. As I say, left centre-back and left... Left-back's not a major need. Left centre-back is. They could get Tammy Abraham and a good centre-back. They'd be very, very good if they got a left-back. I'm not saying they'd be Champions League-level good, but they'd, they'd be pushing for fourth. They'd be pushing for fourth spot. And that would be incredible for them, considering you know what they've been through over the last 15 years and you know how long they spent out of the Premier League. Um, I like where Villa are going. I do. I like the job Dean Smith is doing. They've got Newcastle next, uh, then Burnley away, Southampton away, West Ham at home, Arsenal at home, Brighton away, Leicester at home, and then Leeds away. That is a very difficult run of fixtures. The the next two are the winnable, like the really winnable ones, um, Newcastle and Burnley. But I mean, after that, they're all difficult games against teams in the top half, bar Brighton, of course, who are who are you know stuck down the bottom. But it is a, a difficult run of games. You'd expect that Villa, you know, they've got enough about them to pick up points along the way. They're looking like a good bet for a top half finish. I think it's probably between them and West Ham for tenth. Uh, West Ham obviously have the five-point advantage, I think it is at the moment, but Villa do have uh, three games in hand. Sorry, six-point advantage, Villa have the three games in hand. Um, Gundogan scored the second goal, I should have pointed that out. Gundogan scores a penalty. I think it's his fifth goal in the last seven Premier League games to wrap the decision up late on after Matty Cash handball. City deserved the win, there can be no doubt. They were just a far better team on the night. They're creativity was a lot better last night than it had been against Palace. And that's the funny thing. Like People were quick to jump on Palace because they lost 4-0, yet the same people came out in praise of Villa for losing 2-0. City created much better chances last night than they did against um, than they did against Palace at the weekend. 
they required two worldies and two goals from an unlikely source in John Stones at the weekend. So, for me, I just I don't see the the controversy over last night. The rules of the game state that the ball's back in play, or that 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 the phase resets, and Rodri's now back on side. Fair enough. You can argue Mings, you know, was still in that phase of play, but I don't think he was. I think he'd miscontrolled the ball, and I think a lot of the, uh, I think a lot of the protection of him is because he's English. I, I think if it was a foreign defender, I don't think there'd be an issue. Um, moving on, Manchester United two, Fulham one. Uh, another strange Manchester United performance. Uh, Fulham start off by going ahead five minutes in. Adamola Luckman runs on to a great through ball from Zambo Wangisa and finishes past David De Gea. Fulham looked very, very comfortable for the first 20 minutes. Bruno Fernandes hits the post with a great shot. But other than that, United didn't really create anything. And United didn't create a whole lot of much throughout the game. They go level on 21 minutes. Edinson Cavani taps in after Ariola spills a Bruno Fernandes cross. I mean, it's not a chance created, but that's what they brought Cavani in to do, was to finish off in and around the box. Uh, credit to him for being alive. Big mistake by Ariola, but you didn't really feel watching the game that United deserved to be leveled. They hadn't created enough to really deserve to be leveled. Now, they did create some really good chances after that, um, including one where a Cavani header that Ariola made an incredible save from. Bruno had you know his pot shots from distance, was slipping the ball through to the attackers and trying to get them involved. Um, didn't think Mason Greenwood played particularly well last night, but he, he you know, he hasn't played a whole bunch of late um, because Ollie prefers to play with, with Cavani up front, apparently. Um, United win the game in the second half with an absolute scorcher from Paul Pogba. He picks the ball, ball up in the right-hand channel, cuts in field, and just arrows it into the far corner, past Ariola with his left foot. It is an incredible strike. And it's it's a sign of the talent that Paul Pogba has. Now, of course, it, it changes the narrative around his performance, and people are fawning over him again. I, I thought the game passed him by. I thought the full of midfield of Zambo and Harrison Reed outplayed the United midfield of Pogba and Fred. I don't think Pogba and Bruno Fernandes works. I think individual brilliance gets them through games. But as a pairing, you don't see enough link-up play. You don't see enough complementing of each other to to say that it works. United were good value for the win. There's no doubt about that. Over the 90 minutes, they absolutely deserved the victory. But I, I don't think Paul Pogba played well. He scored an incredible goal. But aside from that, one or two moments of brilliance, a couple of great passes. The game bypassed him for long, long spells. I still think United look better without him in the team. Now, he is a match winner, and that's obviously why Ollie's putting him in the team, but I think they function better, and I think Bruno plays better when Pogba's not in the team. Um, United go back to the top of the league. Uh, two points clear of City, but obviously they do have one game more played. 
Up next for them is Liverpool in the Cup on Sunday, followed by Sheffield United at home, game they'll expect to win. Arsenal away, Southampton at home, Everton at home, West Brom away, Sociedad in the Europa League, Newcastle at home, Sociedad again, Chelsea away, City away then at the start of March. So it is a, it's a tough enough run of games. A couple of couple of bankers there like Sheffield United at home. I mean, if they don't win that game, I'd be stunned. I'd be stunned if they didn't go and wallop West Brom. Big Sam has always enjoyed giving United a nice 3-0 win. Uh, they'll beat Newcastle at home because, again, Steve Bruce is not going to... He's, he's going to do Steve Bruce things, isn't he? He's going to, he's going to sit a back five with a foot with a, you know, a deep four in front of them, one up front, Callum Wilson looking like the loneliest man in football. And it's just not going to be pretty. Um, for Fulham, they can take some heart in, in their performance. There was good spells for them. But the bottom line is they're still third from bottom. They're still four points behind Burnley, who have a game in hand on them. Five points behind Brighton, though they do have a game in hand against Brighton. Now, they've got Bur- uh, Burnley in the cup this weekend. Then they've got Brighton away. Then West Brom away. Both winnable games, but both games they kind of need to win. Then Leicester at home, West Ham at home, Everton away, Sheffield United at home in a game they just have to win, Crystal Palace away, and then they start March with Liverpool. So, you know, you want to get your points in in February. There's there's three games from the next seven in the league. Brighton, West Brom, and Sheffield United, and they need probably take seven points from those games. They can't afford to lose to Brighton because they can't afford to allow Brighton to open a gap on them. They have to beat West Brom. They have to beat Sheffield United. They have the talent to do it. I've been saying it for weeks and weeks, and I'm tired of banging the drum. Parker has to go. He's just not good enough to manage at this level. He might be someday, but he's not now. That Fulham team is far too talented to be where they are. There's so much talent in that team. Like, look at the 11 that lined out for them last night. Ariola is a very good goalkeeper. Ola Aina's very good. Anderson's very good. Tosin's a good young player, still makes mistakes, but he's a, a good, promising young centre-back. Kenny Tete is very, very solid. Zambo Wangisa, to me, is one of the better centre midfielders in the league. Harrison Reed's a promising young player. Brian Joe Bryan played left wing back last night because Anthony Robinson is suspended, but I mean Robinson's normally in that role and he's very good. Loftus Cheek is very talented. Luckman is very talented and is turning into a good player. Uh, and Cavaliero's decent, but he, he's not someone I would want in my team. All things considered, that team is just like, they're far more talented than anyone else down there. Far more talented. More talented than Newcastle, Brighton, Burnley, West Brom, or Sheffield United. That team should be comfortably a mid-table. Now, I know they had that terrible start before they got some of these players in, but at the same time, they just they can't win games. They just can't win games. They have to go and find a striker this month. They just have to. They have 10 days left. They have to go and find a striker this month. Um, tonight, Liverpool versus Burnley. Get your money on a nil-nil. Guy, are you still predicting a nil-nil for tonight? What else would I predict? Of course, Liverpool can't score goals, 
and Burnley don't want to score goals. So nil-nil it will be. Uh, moving on then, it is of course Thursday. We're you know halfway through this podcast and I haven't even got to the point of the Thursday podcast, which is your questions from Twitter. So as always, thank you very much in advance. Haven't read any of these, so going to run with them. Um, okay, Adam Hanlon, at Abby underscore lad underscore. I'll be greedy and give you a few. Your task with Liverpool's summer business this with doing Liverpool's business this summer. What players do you bring in, and how do you finance the deal? Um, your predicted top six come June, and how would you fix our form, knowing VVD is out long term and the knock-on effect it has? The only way I think to fix the form is to buy a centre back, pray that Joel Matip stays fit, and move Fabinho back into midfield, despite how brilliant Fabinho's been. Um, and you've got to get the front three back to some semblance of normality. I think a change up front is is definitely part of what's needed. Whether that's bringing Minamino in, whether it's bringing Shakiri in, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. Whether it's a change of shape, there's definitely something that needs to happen though. Um, with regards to top six, I'm 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 going to stick with what I went with at the start of the season. Just because, you know, I, I want to be consistent with that. So I went I went Liverpool 1, City 2, Spurs 3. Admittedly, it's not looking good for Liverpool to win the league at the minute. I went Everton 4. I want to say I went United 5 and Chelsea 6. Leicester will be in the top 6, though. And I think it will be at the expense of Chelsea. I'm just not sure how the rest of it will shape out. Um, Liverpool's summer business. Okay, so Virgil will be back. Liverpool need a partner for Virgil. That's not open for debate. The one I would want is Kanate from Leipzig. He's the one I've wanted for a couple of years. I think you bring him in next to Virgil, he'll be sensational and you can develop him as the long-term leader of the defence when Virgil's eventually gone. You also need to buy a backup for Virgil. Now, again, David Carmo of Braga is the one I would want. Now, that is a lot of money on two centre-backs, but I think that you're, with those two, you're buying your long-term centre-back pairing. That When Virgil's gone, you've got Kanate and Carmo, who I think would mesh very well together. Gomez is the fourth centre-back then. Um, I think you can sell Joel Matip this summer. I think you'll get in and around thirty million for a player of his quality, even with the injury problems. I think a PSG could be quite interested in him. Um, they could obviously do it an improvement as a backup right back. Jed Spence of Middlesbrough is one I like. I think six to eight million probably gets him, so he's not too expensive. I would like a better backup goalkeeper as well, but. You know, maybe that's Camille Grabara comes back from his loan and he's ready to step into that role. Um Keller has done a commendable job this season, but I would just like someone a little bit a little bit better, and I think Grabara is a little bit better. In midfield, then you've got Thiago and Fabinho should be starters. We know that Ginny Wijnaldum looks like he's gonna leave. Um I'd be inclined to change the shape and go to something more resembling, uh, you know, a double pivot of Fabinho and Thiago. Then you get Henderson and Keita as your your depth pairing. I think that's strong enough. 
I think Milner could leave. I, I, I I'd be in favour of him leaving because I'd love to go see him go back to Leeds, but I think Liverpool will need him to stay because they've so, they've other things to do. I would sell Oxlade Chamberlain. I would sell Shakiri. I would sell Grujic, Wilson, and Origi. I know it's it's easy to say sell them, but I, I do think they're all players that will have some value. You're just going to have to accept that you're not going to get peak value for each of them and um, and maybe find a solution. Like, you could have sold Harry Wilson in the summer for £12 million, but you insisted on 15 and you got nothing. You got a small loan fee from Cardiff. You could have sold Gruyich in the summer, but you were asking too much. In terms of what I would do then, I mean, the one I want is Haaland. Haaland's not moving this summer by the looks of things. So I'd, I'd put buying a nine on the back burner and I would go with a you know a four-man rotation up front, Salah, Firmino, Jota, and Taki Minamino. I'd like to see Salah and Jota play a couple of games together, but I think Salah and, and Bobby is probably the pairing for next year. Jota and Minamino, the backup pairing. Mane is your left winger. Jota can be a backup in that role as well. I'd be looking to bring in a creative player to play off that right-hand side. I'd love Martin Odegaard. It looks like Liverpool might miss the boat on him. I think he'd be perfect. Failing at what you could do, and, and this might be a better option, is play Mane on the right and play Naby Keita as the left-sided one who plays a little bit narrow and opens the channel for Andy Robertson and have Curtis Jones be his backup and then buy, uh, you know, a depth centre midfield option. Um, someone like a Sander Berger or somebody could be available. Um, I don't think Liverpool will do mass amounts of business this summer. I think there could be like four incomings, one or two starters, and a couple of squad players. But I quite like, I quite like the idea of of Trent, Canate, Virgil, Robbo. Thiago and Fabinho, Mane on the right, Naby on the left, Bobby and Mo up front. And then you've got a backup group of Jed Spence, Gomez, Carmo, Simicus, Henderson plus new signing, Sander Berger, we'll call it for now. Harvey Elliott as the backup to Sadio, obviously a completely different type of player, but you know you want to have him in the squad, I think, next season, maybe. Curtis is the backup to Naby, and then Minamino and Jota is the backup up front. I think I think that's pretty strong. Allison, Gribera, and Kelleher will call the goalkeepers because you know you don't want to go too overboard. But that's only four signings. Kanate, Carmo, Berg, uh, Sander Berger, and Jed Spence. There's four signings. I don't, I don't think that's outside the realms of possibility. And if you sell Matip. Ox, Shaq, Grujic, Wilson, and Origi. I, I think you can cover quite a bit of it. Um, and, you, and you wouldn't have a massive increase in your wages either. Um, moving on. Connor Sheehan. Your favourite football-based film. The Damned United is a personal favourite, although a bit cheesy. The Damned United is probably my favourite football film. Um, the one with Sean Bean when Saturday comes, I like that one as well. Um, 
I like some of the ones like from a fan perspective, like Away Days is very, very good. But yeah, I think the Damned United is probably the best of them. Um, Willology asks, as we've basically reached the halfway point of the season, who do you think finishes in the top four and who gets ready again? I'm going to, I, I, as I said to uh, to Adam, I'm going to stick with my, my top four, even though obviously one of them looks unlikely. It, well, it doesn't look unlikely. They're still in the mix. I'm going to say Liverpool, City, Spurs and Everton. That's just what I'm going to go with. And I'm going to be wrong, but I'm I'm going to stick with it. Uh, who gets relegated? Sheffield United. Uh, Sheffield United, definitely. Uh, West Brom, I think, looking quite a good bet. And... I think it's between Fulham and Newcastle. I think if Fulham change manager, they'll they'll stay up and Newcastle will go down. I think I went West Ham at the start of the season. But they're not going to go down. So I'm going to say Newcastle. Sorry to uh, Jake Jackman and all Toon fans, but I do think that's going to be the way. Um, the best, bo- uh, this is from Nick Turner. The best Bobby replacement in terms of work rate and skill on the ball uh, to play the usual Bobby role or change the system to an out-and-out goal scorer, but you can't have Haaland. Well, that's just mean. Why can't I have Haaland? That is mean. Um, in terms of work rate and skill on the ball, there's not many. Bobby's very unique in how he plays. I've always said if I was if I was to replace Bobby, I'd want Young Min Son. So I think he offers you everything that Bobby can offer you. More pace, much better finisher. I think Son is top five player in the league. Um, I, I would I would just say Hillman Son in terms of everything. Even if you you know want to change system to add an out out now goal scorer, he can be that as well. I would just say in ideal world, Hyungmin Son is is the one. Failing him, it is difficult. Like it's very very difficult. I really like Luka Jovic. And if he continues to score goals for Frankfurt on his loan, I wouldn't be against, you know, getting on to Real and seeing if you could you could steal him. I really like him as a player. There's no real direct Bobby Raul Jimenez would be a really good fit as well. He does a lot of the same things Bobby does. He's a better finisher. He's not quite as skillful and creative, but in terms of, you know, how hard he works, the runs he makes. Raul Jimenez would be one, but he's 29, so you're not going to go for him. Um, okay, 87, WWFLFC. Does Steven Gerrard look tactically a good fit for Liverpool? If you look at the average position of a, a Rangers player during the game, comparing to an average position of a Liverpool player during the game, it is very similar. He is tactically set out his players in a very similar way he is playing a, this season at least a similar style of football high line, high press, counter pressing like demons um, tactically this season yes but factor in they're playing against league one caliber players um, and he's got by far the biggest budget in the SPL so I, I, would, I wouldn't take anything from the SPL personally um, if Chelsea sack Lampard, should they roll the dice on Emma Hayes as their next manager? 
I'd love to see it. I really would. For those that don't know, Emma Hayes is the manager of the Chelsea women's team, uh, who's done an incredible job there. I think she's won three league titles. Um, She is a fantastic manager. It would be an incredible leap forward for football, but it won't happen. And it probably shouldn't happen because of the toxic misogyny that exists among football fans. I mean, when when Chelsea lose now, Frank Lampard is, you know, the, the, the fat memes come out and the PE teacher comes out and whatever else. If Emma Hayes was manager and they lost a game, it would largely be, you know, the comments would largely be directed at her gender rather than anything else. And that would be horrific to see. Uh, we've already seen the misogyny. We saw the, the, the thing with Leeds uh, when they put that clip up uh, a couple of weeks ago. They, by the way, they haven't won or scored a goal since. So, you know, uh, life comes at you fast. Um, I, I would love to see it, but there's no way it'll happen. And, and it, it probably shouldn't happen because it would just open up a, a hornet's nest. KC Design. Um, in your opinion, has Premier League football increased or declined as a spectacle in the last decade? If it declined pinpo- uh, prior to the pandemic, can you pinpoint when the sea change took place? And at what point do you first personally feel the Premier League was at its most interesting? It was at its most interesting from, I'll answer this in reverse, in, it was at its most interesting in the 2000s when you had a great United team, you had the invincible Arsenal, and then, you know, the aftermath of that, you had Mourinho and Chelsea and that incredible team, and you had a really strong Liverpool under Benitez. I think that's when the Premier League was at its strongest and most interesting. I do think it's declined over the last decade. And I think a big part of it is the decline of Manchester United and then the decline of Arsenal. I suppose you could argue that Arsenal declined first, but they declined from, you know, first or second to fourth. United went from first or second to seventh. Um... I think that is the, the the largest factor, being honest. I think the drop-off of Arsenal and United has, has been a big factor in, in the overall quality of the league going down because the two teams who had consistently been brilliant, in, in United's case for 20 years and in uh, Arsenal's case for about 15, they just fell off. Now, Spurs have improved and, and gotten better. And obviously, we've seen what's happened with Leicester. But I still I still think the Premier League is always going to be its best when United, Arsenal and Liverpool are at the top of the league. Because I think they're the teams that bring the three most eyeballs. So the three biggest clubs in the country. And I think if, if all three of them are great, then the Premier League will be at its most strong. Or at its strongest, I suppose. Um... Niall Purcell asks how many players Liverpool need to freshen up the team. I would say I would say two. Starters, I'd say one would probably do it, but two would be ideal to freshen it up and have things change. You know, when, when I was talking earlier, I, I was saying keep Bobby. I, I would rather replace Bobby and have Bobby on the bench, but uh, Haaland is the striker I want, so I'm I'm torn 
between I'm torn between, you know, waiting for Haaland, who you might not get, or addressing the Bobby thing this summer. Um Hanners East asked, Liverpool's throw-in coach was used as a conversation for a while and subject to ridicule from some. Do you think, however, there's room in football for more specialist coaches similar to what they have in the NFL? Is any major, any any marginal gain is worth doing? I completely agree. Any marginal gain is worth doing. Any advantage you can get, you take. Um, I do think we will go that direction where we do see more specialist coaches. We've already seen you know, strikers coaches. Robbie Fowler was coaching the strikers at Liverpool for a couple of years. We've seen some clubs employ a defensive coach. And I think as it develops more, and I've always felt that the NFL is kind of the blueprint of what you would want in a coaching staff and in terms of recruitment and scouting and all that, I think the NFL has always just been the, the standard bearer. And we've seen the off-field stuff, the structure of the club with Sporting directors, director of recruitment, director of scouting, that's all taken from, you know, general manager, head of pro personnel, head of pro scouting, head of college scouting, et cetera, et cetera. That's all taken from the NFL and baseball to an extent as well. Um, I think we'll see things like, you know, fullbacks coach, centerbacks coach, midfield coach. I, I do think we'll see that. And I don't see an issue in having set piece coaches. Um, Liverpool aren't the only club to use it. They were just the only club that kind of talked about it. Um, I think any marginal gain is is worthwhile, genuinely. Um, Alex McGuinness asks, I know you and others ruled out any return for Virgil van Dijk this year based on the sports sign, so I'd written it off. But given the rumblings, is there any hope that these judgments were based on more severe injuries how much of VVD's injury is in the public domain? Is it deaf or grade three tear? We don't know. The problem with Liverpool is they're so cloak and dagger with any kind of injury stuff. I mean, you just they don't they don't tell you anything. They're not transparent at all. But I always kind of feel like when Klopp's not talking about it and not putting time frames, it means the player's either where we think he's going to be or behind. Like, look at Jota. Jota was meant to be back at the start of February. He's still in a knee brace. There's not a hope he's back at the start of February. Um, Matip, oh, Matip is nearly fit. Matip is nearly fit. So, you know, I don't think there's any chance we see Virgil again this season. I really don't. And speaking to people like Marty Lockhorn and Simon Brundish, what Virgil has been pictured doing now is stuff he could have been doing two months ago. So, it's, you know, it's possible he's just behind schedule. Uh, Mikhail Campbell. I love this. In the spirit of Tony Pulis, what is your all-time agricultural 11? I'm going to come back to that at the end. Um, Isaac Gilding. Which players from Premier League history would make the best? Rugby player, NFL player, tennis player, track athlete, and NBA player. Bonuses to who's the best at curling. Um... NBA player. Oh, let me come back to that as well. That's really good. Jay Reed, 1987. Team of the season so far, given what Sky produced yesterday. Uh, I don't know who was behind somebody's choices. Right, so the Sky team is Emmy Martinez in goal. I'm not going to disagree with Emmy Martinez. I'm not. I think Alison Becker is worth considering, but he has missed some games. So I'd go with Martinez. Um, they've gone with Reese James at right back, which is just a nonsense. 
Uh, I would suggest there's been four better right-backs. There's been probably more than that. More than that. Reese James just doesn't belong in this team at all. Um, I'm going to say James Justin. Now, I do think he's obviously played a lot at left-back, so you do factor that in. The three best consistent right-backs this season in the league for me, Matty Cash, Kyle Walker-Peters, and Vladimir Kufal of West Ham. I think those three, with having played almost every game, now people look at Kufal and play, he played 16 games, but he wasn't there for the first couple. Since he's arrived, he's played pretty much every game. Walker Peters, pretty much every game. I think Maddie Cash missed one game, maybe two, but he's been there pretty much the whole season. The likes of Zhao Canseo played about five games at right back, so don't name him. Castanier missed a bunch of the season, don't name him. Uh, but I've got, I'd go with James Justin because he's been one of the two best fullbacks in the league this season. The other one's been Andy Robertson, who's the left back. So they're the fullbacks, James Justin and um, and Andy Robertson. At centre back, they went with Fabinho and Wesley Fofana. Now, I've no argument with Fabinho. I think he has been the best centre back in the league this season. Wesley Fofana has been brilliant. However, he hasn't been the best centre back in the league. He just hasn't. I saw someone claim the other day he's been top five in the world this season. Nonsense. Hyperbolic nonsense. Ezri Konza has been better than him. Fabinho has been better than him. Ruben Diaz has been better than him. So if he's the fourth best centre-back at best in the Premier League, there's not a hope he's top five in the world this season. It's a coin toss between Konza and Diaz. I'm going to go with Diaz because of what he's done to that Manchester City defence. So my back four will be James Justin, Fabinho, Ruben Diaz and um, Andy Robertson. In midfield, they went with Bruno, Kevin De Bruyne and Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish has not played a single minute in midfield this season for Aston Villa. Not a minute. How is he in your midfield? That's shoehorning a player in because he doesn't actually make the team, but you want to push a narrative. Um, I think... Yuri Thielemans will be close. He's had He's been the best and most consistent midfielder at Leicester this year. Madison and, and Ndidi both missed time. Ginny Wijnaldum will be worth a shout. Henderson hasn't been good this season. Alcantara hasn't played a bunch this season. I think the third midfielder is Pierre-Emile Heusberg. Now, it's a, it's a close-run thing because I do think Zambo Wengisa deserves mention here because he's been great. Calvin Phillips has been great. James Ward-Prowse has been great. Suchek has been exceptional. Rice has been very good. That, as, as I've said a bunch of times, that pairing I love. Douglas Louise has been excellent. But I think I'd go with Heusberg. It's close, but I think I'd go with him. Bruno, Heusberg, De Bruyne as a three. They'd ruin the world. And then up front, they've gone Salah, Kane, and Son, and I can't really argue with any of them. So for me, Grealish, Fafana, and Reese James, just they don't make it. Reese James shouldn't even be in the conversation. Grealish isn't a midfielder. Um, if you want to shoehorn in an English midfielder, I mean, you know, Mason Mount's probably the guy, or Declan Rice, either of those two. 
Declan Rice would make sense in the midfield with Bruno and, and Kevin De Bruyne. Now, maybe this is just me being pedantic, but when I look at a midfield that's three purely attacking midfielders, it drives me up the wall. Even in fantasy football, like I'm the type of idiot that when he does fantasy Premier League, he has to pick a defensive midfielder. I just have to. I have to have the team balance, or my head doesn't work properly. Um, So that midfield would annoy the life out of me anyway. But yeah, Heusberg, Heusberg, Bruno, and and KDB would would work against the dross in the league. So yeah, that's the midfield I'll I'll stick with. Um. James Houghton, is Potter actually a good manager or does he have a good reputation? As I see, don't seem impressed. I think he's a very good coach. And I think there's definitely promise as a manager. I think he's good. I like him. But I can see why Brighton fans aren't all that chuffed at the minute. You know, they loved Chris Hewton. Chris Hewton got them promoted, did great work there, and was fired so that they could go in a new direction and, and grow and become better and they're not any better now than they were when Newton was there but they are much more enjoyable to watch I think he's been let down by those above him who didn't spend the money they should have spent in the summer now again admittedly pandemic small club etc 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 but I think if Brighton had a goal scorer and a better left wing back they'd be pushing for top half um, better boy known ways of replacing Wijnaldum preferred option when looking at players already at the club and reported scouting targets like Renato Sanchez and Rodrigo De Paul. Rodrigo De Paul to me doesn't make any sense I don't think he fits the Liverpool play at all he's a very talented player he's like a poor man's Bruno I think you have to play with the team sort of built around him more than you do with Bruno who is a harder worker and more willing to drop back um, Ronaldo Sanchez I do like and I think he'd make a lot of sense the issues the injuries Bubikari Samara is one uh, Zambo would be another if we were, if Liverpool were sticking with 4-3-3 and I wanted a Gini replacement I would probably go Samara or Zambo and I'd probably edge towards Zambo because you know he's older more experienced hitting his prime sensational this season I'd probably go with him uh, plus, I wouldn't want any other Premier League club to get him, and I think he'd improve United, he'd improve Spurs, he'd improve Everton. He's not the right one for Chelsea, but he would improve them. And I'd love to see him with Arsenal next to Thomas Partey, because I, I love both of those players. But, um, yeah, I, I think I'd go I think I'd go Zambo. Uh Emmett, a.k.a. Emmett, who are the five most talented English players you've seen? So most talented is interesting because it's not best. It's most talented. Most gifted. And Daniel Sturridge has to be on that list. For talent alone, Daniel Sturridge is on that list. Rooney is on that list. Most talented. I don't know if Rooney is one of the five best, best English players I've seen. I don't think he is. Shearer would be there. Scholes would be there. Gerard would be there. Lampard is probably in that mix. Ashley Cole is in the top five English players I've seen. He was the best left back in the world for half a decade. But most talented Rooney's a hundred percent in the in the group. 
I think Robbie Fowler. Stan Collymore would definitely be there. Most talented, 100%. Robbie Fowler's finishing was, was sensational. He was naturally gifted. I mean, there's a bunch. I mean, Letizier was so talented. Gaza, obviously. Stevie Gerrard, Scholes, Beckham. Collymore, Sturridge, Rooney, Gerard and Skulls. Yeah, that'd be my five. I didn't, I didn't see enough of Gaza pre-knee injury. I don't think he was ever the same player after the knee injury that he sustained in the cup final. I didn't see him at Newcastle. He's too young. Uh, I was young once. Breaking news. Um, but yeah, they, they'd be the five. They'd be the five. Uh, Martin Odegaard is meant to be available. This is Lee Johnson, 75. Martin Odegaard is meant to be available on loan. Which teams in the Premiership would be the best fit and why? Uh, he'd be a really good fit at Arsenal, who could do it more creativity. They've got Smith Rowe providing it, but there's been talk of Buendia. Now, you'd be bringing him into play on the right in that 4 2 3 1 which would push Saka to the left, which means it's either Aubameyang or Lacazette, and maybe that's the plan if Arsenal can land either of those two. Um, he'd be a really good fit at Spurs. Again, off the right-hand side, cutting in. Endembele is the 10. Son as the left winger. Kane up front. I'd love him at Liverpool. I think he'd be sensational at Liverpool. Again, you're talking about changing the shape, playing him off the right in a box midfield or a 4-2-3-1 with, with Mane on the left and Salah up front with either Firmino behind him or alongside him or Jota alongside him or Ginny Wijnaldum or, or Naby Keita as the 10, whichever way you want to do it. But I'd love to see him at Liverpool. I think Arsenal's a very good fit for him. He's probably... Do you know what? I'm wrong. It, it's Leicester. It's Leicester City. It just is. Him off the right, Barnes off the left, Madison, Thielemans, and Ndidi in the middle, Vardy up front, Pereira, Fafana, Sionchu, James Justin, Casper and Gold. That is a hell of a team. That is a hell of a team. It's Leicester City. The best fit for Martin Odegaard is Leicester City. Uh, who is the bigger loss to their team, either through injury or a transfer? Kane, Virgil, KDB, Bruno, or Oba? Uh, Oba wouldn't be a big loss this season. He hasn't been very good. Um, Kevin De Bruyne will be enormous for City. He is the main and, at times, only creator they have. But... Maybe if they didn't have him, they wouldn't rely on him as much. And maybe the likes of Phil Foden and Bernardo Silva would, would continue to step up and, and prove more. Gundogan as well. Mares would come into the team, and obviously we know how talented he can be. I think City could get by because they've got so much talent there. Kane is near on impossible to replace, but I mean, they do have... Carlos Finish. 
issues this year. It, 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 it's a little bit biased. Admittedly, it is a little bit biased, but it, it's Bruno. I was like, not Bruno. It's it's Virgil. It's Virgil. It just is Virgil. Um, it's Virgil because he affects Liverpool in every way. Now, Dan Kennett, who I love, uh, has a thread on Twitter basically mocking the idea that Liverpool need to sign a centre-back. He's not factoring in the factors that Virgil allows Liverpool to play a higher line, which allows the midfield to play a higher line, which allows the strikers to play higher, compresses the field, causes more turnovers, gives Liverpool more opportunities. His cross-field passes to Trent are one of the big focuses of the team. His long passing to Mane is incredible. He's the leader of the team, the organiser of the team. It's it's Virgil van Dijk, and I, yeah, it's, I don't care if it's biased. It just is him. Man United Index. This is Eddie, Eddie Gibbs. This is you, Eddie, and I know it is. Has Oli Gunnar Solskjaer hoodwinked the world? Um, at the minute, he is hoodwinking quite well. He is. Um, he he looks, you know, semi-competent because his team continued to win, despite him having had three stinkers in a row tactically uh, against Burnley, against Liverpool in a game they should have won. I mean, Liverpool were there to be walloped. Liverpool haven't been good for a while. And last night against Fulham, they... Individual brilliance and Liverpool's incompetence got them seven points from games that they probably shouldn't have gotten any more than two from. Um, so, yeah, he is hoodwinking the world and certainly hoodwinking those at Manchester United. Neil uh, Neil Devlin, a.k.a. Purple Man, uh, is Tyron Mings a moron? I think there's strong, there's strong evidence that he may be. Strong evidence. Um... Joseph Cousins, do you think Liverpool need to evolve tactically and could that mean Klopp bringing in a number two or is that unnecessary? I think it's unnecessary to bring in a number two. I think they can need to continue to evolve. They have evolved a little bit. I think you've seen some of the influences of uh, Pep and Lenders. I think obviously Liverpool have become more of a possession-based team, more controlling. I think they could do it moving away from the 4-3-3. Um, you know, when you have two world-class midfielders in Fabinho and Thiago, you don't really need a third midfielder and they're just getting in the way. You're better, better off getting a fourth attacker on the field. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they could do it evolving that way. Uh, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mess around with the staff. Not at this point, anyway. Uh, Tamara, a.k.a. Uh, at, at underscore Syriana underscore, what you think of the Suarez quotes? Uh, I'm a bit busy at the minute, mate. Uh, I think it's the only appropriate reply. Um... FC Molman, who would be your three best captains or leaders in Europe since 2000? Uh, Carlos Puyol would be on that list without question. Uh, can I include Roy Keane? If I can include Roy Keane, then Roy Keane, uh, who's the best captain I've seen. I think John Terry was a great captain. I don't know if he's in this list. Hmm. Yeah, it might be John Terry. I always thought John Terry was a much better captain than he was player. Better leader than player. Puyol. He, was, he wasn't captain for long enough, but De Rossi was an incredible leader at, at Roma. I'm inclined to go with him because I, I would just prefer him to giving John Terry any credit for anything. Uh, if I can go, if I can include Roy Keane then I'll go Keane, Puyol, De Rossi. 
if I can't include Keane, because obviously he was captain before 2000, then John Terry would be would be the next one up. Um, Anfield Line asks, uh, Kieta is great when fit, but breaks down too many times. Think his injuries may move, may mean Klopp moves on from this summer. No, I don't think so. I don't think this summer. And uh, as Mark Leyland replies, uh, he's been rushed back too quickly. And I think they've realized that. I think that's that's key. I think they have realized that you know he does need some time out of the the team. He does need to be rebuilt. We they tried to do that at the start of the season, and things were looking very well until he got a little niggle, and then they took took him out of the team again, and then that moron who manages the Ghanaian national team uh, made an absolute mess of it. Um, Gum Gum Pistol asks, so no, I wouldn't say I don't think Liverpool will sell him. I think his value is probably too low at the minute for them to justify selling him. Uh, Gum Gum Pistol, Liverpool's two primary sources of creation are Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold, both off the boil this season. How do you think they changed this um, to having a different creative source? Who do you bring in? I don't think Robbo's off the boil. I think Trent 100% is. I think Robbo's been really good this season. He's been better defensively as well than I think we've ever seen. I think having Thiago there will be... He's not... He won't... So... Jan Agafjortov claims Thiago's not creative because he didn't have any assists last season. It shows how little Jan Agafjortov knows about what he's talking about. Thiago's a hugely creative player and an inventive, inventive player. I think he can make that difference. I think if they could get Naby into the team more, I mean, there's no doubt the creativity goes through the roof when he's in the team. And I think you could play 4-2-3-1 or that box midfield and have Naby and Thiago plus Mane, Mo. And then either Jota or Bobby uh, as the the other attacker, um, I think that's I think that's the move. I genuinely do. I think that's the move. Fabinho, Thiago, Mane right, Naby left, Jota and Mo as the front two, and, and let's just see what happens. It, it's something new, something different. Lots of creativity, lots of pace. I, I think that could be the way to go. Um, right. So, Agricultural 11. I like this. I think the goalkeeper... I think the goalkeeper is Asmir Begovic. He's a very overrated goalkeeper, but he looks big and he looks the part, so I'll go for him. Um... Ryan Shawcross is obviously in the team at centre-back. And I'm going to go for uh, the Liverpool legend, uh, Kyriakos, next to him. Just a big grok who heads absolutely everything. You don't want any fancy business at full-back. So Paul Koncheski, right in the team at left-back. Um, at right-back... I'd be inclined to go Phil Bardsley because agricultural managers tend to love him. So I'd be inclined to go with him. So I've got Bardsley, Kiri Hackos, Shaw, uh, Shawcross, and um, and Koncheski in defence. In midfield, I mean, Lee Catamole is the captain of this team, isn't he? Lee Catamole's got to be in there. You go with him and David Batty. Just a nice combative midfield pair who'll just kick everybody. Uh, Batty there, a little bit of creativity, capable of a good 10-yard pass. 
You want chalk on the boots from the winger, so Stuart Downing is a shoe in at left back or left left well left back left wing. <laughs> He'd be an attacking left back, really. Um, on the right hand side, again, you just want an up and down grafter. You don't want anyone who's going to do anything too adventurous. But then, you see, what you could do is with Downing's crosses, you could have the big, big man coming in like a freight train. I'm going to go with Johnny Walters on the right wing. Nominally a striker, but did play on the right quite a bit. So I'm going to go with him. Up front, has to be a little large combination. Has to be. I think the best little one is Jermaine Defoe. Not saying he's in any way agricultural, but a lot of agricultural managers liked having him. Like, Sam loved him. Um, I think Jermaine Defoe was, he might be too good. He might, he might be too good for this team. Andy Carroll is the number nine. There's no question. I should have got to that first. So it's Andy Carroll plus one up front. Jermaine Defoe was probably too good. And I really like Jermaine Defoe. I don't want to, you know, besmirch his career by labeling, labeling him an agricultural footballer. Um, do you know what? I might just go with another big grok up front. And this will wind Everton fans up. Duncan Ferguson. Going to go with Duncan Ferguson up front with Andy Carroll. That'll work for me. That'll work for me. I'm, I'm happy with that. Um, football scribblers, mild follow-ups to last week's. Do you do managers really have to get hand-picked targets in England? Sari said last year at Juventus he will just suggest the type of player he wants to the board, and they will go looking for someone of that mold because they know more players than he does. Um, plus things like availability and finance. Look at Nottingham Forest. People using Werner and Havertz being signings. The board wanted as an excuse uh, for Lampard, and it's shocking. Um, well, the, Werner and Havertz were signings that the board wanted, not Lampard. Um, yeah, I think English manager. It's more the culture of English football rather than. I think when you get a manager who comes in from abroad. You know, and has experience. They're more used to that. Someone like like Klopp, when he first arrived, said, "I'm used to being handed the players." Um, he had input at, at Dortmund eventually, but initially, the players were given to him. He didn't arrive with some big reputation and name. Guys like Allegri have always worked at clubs where they've just been given the players. Same kind of thing with with Sarri. Uh, one of the reasons Conte wanted to come to England was because he thought he'd have more control over transfers and obviously then it didn't really happen for him i think it's because of you know when ferguson was at united he had he had final say and first first say and final say wenger the same because english football was slower to move to that style of having a director of football and having bigger recruitment teams you know ferguson would have had a couple of trusted scouts he would have had a big scouting network of local guys but when he got word about a player he would have had two or three that he really trusted. He would have sent one of them. You go and watch them. Let me know what you think. And then he would have gone himself and watched them and made that final decision. Whereas now, like, I don't think managers even go to watch players anymore. Like, 
the player will have been watched. Now, the one thing is, the player will have been watched far more now than they would have previously, both in person by, you know, lead scouts, regional scouts, and then the director of scouting before the manager was even made aware of the player. Um, and then they'll watch, you know, hours and hours on why scout, the analysts will dig into them. So I think by now, by the time a player gets to the manager's level, they've been far more heavily vetted. I think that's quite new to English football. And some of the managers who maybe are holdovers from the older generation, the likes of David Moyes and that Sam, big Sam, they might be a bit slower to embrace it. Now, I think Moyes has embraced it a bit more than some. But I, it's not an excuse for Lampard because he's never managed in, you know, in, in times when directors of football weren't making decisions. Um, it, things can go the other way, though. Look, it's not necessarily a good thing to have a recruitment team that picks the players and a, and a, a head coach that coaches them because you end up with a situation like Nottingham Forest where they've signed about 173 players uh, in the last few years and how many of them have worked? Four or five, maybe. It, it hasn't been great for Forest, let's be fair. But the other thing as well is that a lot of the, the targets that Forest get are basically the players who who are deemed not good enough for Olympiacos. So I don't know that the focus is actually on Forrest there. I think work has been done for the other club and Forrest kind of get the runoff. Um, I did have another question that I wanted to go back to. And where on earth have I left? Okay, yeah, Isaac. Right, the best rugby player... I kind of feel like Jack Grealish would be an incredibly good scrum half. But Kevin De Bruyne as a number 10, as a, as a fly half, would be phenomenal. That mastery of kicking a ball, his intelligence, his build, I think I think Kevin De Bruyne as, as, an, as a fly half would be incredible. Um, NFL player... Hmm. Zambo Zambo as a running back would be really good but Sadio Mane as a wide receiver like an Antonio Brown type wide receiver I think that would be quite fun tennis player Ideally, you want someone who's six foot plus, rangy, great athlete. I mean, Virgil van Dijk seems the obvious answer there. He's the best athlete in the Premier League. He's six four. He moves like a much smaller man. Everything's very fluid. You, you can tell there's just a lot of natural gifts there. I'd probably go Virgil for tennis. Uh, Track athlete. I mean, Theo Walcott was kind of always the one that stood out as a as a guy that could be a, a great um, sprinter. But you know, Jordan Henderson as a middle distance runner would be interesting. Now, in fact, the answer is is Jamal Lewis as a middle distance runner, like fifteen hundred meters to three thousand meters. 
because he did it. That, that was you know what he did as a youngster. Uh, so I'll go Jamal Lewis as as track athlete. Um, if you want a sprinter, DeAndre Yadlin would probably be up there because he doesn't really do anything else. NBA player. Again, ideally, you're looking at someone over six foot. Not a whole lot of guys floating around the NBA who are under six foot. Um, I think you want someone. I mean, Thiago as a point guard would be great if he was six foot tall. Uh, that level of vision and inventiveness. Um, I feel like Paul Pogba could be an NBA point guard. But I think he'd be a very frustrating player to watch. Yeah, I think I'd go Paul Pogba as a point guard. Right, he's got the right kind of build, the right height. He's got the right sort of belief in himself. His passing in football is great. And obviously, it doesn't translate the passing with your hands. But I'll go Paul Pogba. Uh, so we've got De Bruyne for rugby, Sadio for the NFL as, a, as an Antonio Brown-type wide receiver. It might be too small, but I'm going to stick with him. Um, Virgil for tennis. Now, Virgil could also be a tight end in American football and, and a sensational one. So Virg, I mean, Virgil could be the guy who's, who's the best at all of these, in truth. In fact, Virgil probably would be the guy who'd be the best at all of these. If you're just picking the best athlete. But yeah, I'll go De Bruyne, Mane, Virgil, Jamal Lewis, and Pogba. Um, who'd be the best at curling? Uh, James Milner. I, I think it's the type of sport James Milner probably sits at home and watches. I, I think James Milner is the answer there. Um, that's it. That is an extended... I say an extended one. They've all been about an hour and a half this year or this week. Um, that is an extended podcast. That is it for today. We will see you tomorrow. Thank you as always to Guy Drinkle, to Fox Taunt, to you for your questions and for listening. Uh, see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.